is from Second Samuel chapter 12, the first 15 verses. And these verses are also the basis for this morning's sermon. Let's read the words of God. Second Samuel chapter 12, the first 15 verses. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. But he brought it up, and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink with his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock and or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I give you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And give you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? to do what is evil in his sight. You must, you have struck down Uriah, the Hittite, with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'll raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives 
in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. So far with the scripture reading. Now let's respond by saying Psalm 102, stands 1, 5, and 6. Women will respond by saying Psalm 51, stands 1 and 2. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. King David himself was sinking deep, deeper and deeper into swamp of sin. Neglect of duty and being in the wrong place at the wrong time led him into sexual temptation and refusing to escape. He took possession of Bathsheba. He engineered the murder of her husband, Uriah. Eventually, David took Bathsheba as his wife. Everything went according to David's plan. Having gotten his hand on Bathsheba at this point, David, having satisfied his desires, continued to worship the Lord according to God's laws. He offered sacrifices, praise, and sang as if there was nothing between him and his God. But he no longer had a true spirit of worship and praise. His heart and his acts of worship were hypocritical. David thought that he had successfully covered his sin and would continue to do so. His behavior was a classical cover-up. Chapter 11 ends with these words. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That's the end of chapter 11. How much more are we not like David, who wrongly tries to deal with our sins? Too often, after we have sinned, we try to work around the consequences of our sin instead of dealing with the real problem. We work over time to come up with ways to get away with, with sin. While committing adultery and, mur and murder did not trouble David, it did, not gr it did grieve the Lord. The Lord may not 
stop us from sin, but still we are responsible for our sins. We can hide our sins from man, but we cannot hide our sins from God. God would not let David continue to roll around in sin. God had to teach David a hard lesson. So God sent the prophet Nathan to David to expose his sin in a parable, bring him to confession and repentance, and announce his punishment and grace. The faithful God does not abandon the work he has begun in David, but continues and perfects it. David had failed God, but God would not forsake David. God will deliver David from his sin. This matter of how God dealt with David's sin is significant for us today. We can also learn lessons from it about our sinfulness, true repentance, and God's marvelous grace. So I pray to you this morning under this theme. You are the man. Under this theme, we have three points to share. At the first point, David's sin revealed. At second place, his confession of sin and God's grace. And the last point, the consequences of his sin. Now the first point, David's David sin revealed. The Lord sent the fearless prophet Nathan to David. He conveyed to David a special message from the Lord. The message began with a parable, a poignant, shockingly simple story that would offend the sensibilities of any man. The story goes like this. There were two men in the city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had many sheep and cattle, and the poor had only a little lamb he had bought and raised. And the lamb grew up in his house and with his children, and the lamb ate of his food, drank of his cup, and slept in his arms as his daughter. What we see here is a picture of beauty, simplicity, and great poverty. David's heart would no doubt have been touched by these contrasting pictures of the rich and the poor. Verse 4 tells us that a traveler came to the rich man and he could not spare one of his flocks of cattle and sheep to entertain the traveler who came to him. But he took the ewe lamb of the poor man to entertain his guests. Thus the rich man took his neighbor's lamb, even though it was his neighbor's only lamb, and even though the poor man cherished it as a family member. Think about what it would have been like when the rich man went to his neighbor's house to get the, get the lamb. 
We don't know why the rich man did what he did, only that the lamb was taken by force. After hearing the parable, David could not control his feelings. The story seemed so real, but David didn't realize what it had to do with him. His anger suddenly erupted violently. He told Nathan that he would take immediate steps to, to right the wrong. David told Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. In this statement, David first emphasized what he would do about the man who had done such a bad thing. Then he says, this man is damned. Immediately after, afterward, David adds, he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. This reaction of righteous indignation on David's part may sound extreme. But don't forget, this man's crime was not just robbery. It could also be considered kidnapping since, since, since this lamb was treated as a family member. Under the law, kidnapping must be punished by the death penalty. So David's assessment was correct. What this rich man did was wrong. David saw the ugliness of sin and recognized that this lack of mercy, this sin deserved death. In addition, a fourfold in Demnity was required, as required by God's law. However, from another perspective, David's reaction to such a to such a vehemence also shows that David at this time was a hypocrite before God. David felt compassion for the poor man. His anger was aroused, but his conscience was still asleep. He was almost ready to condemn the wrongdoing of others when he had committed the most horrible sins. Isn't it amazing that a man who accuses sin in his own life Excuse, excuses, excuses sin in his own life is so often harsh and critical in dealing with sin in the lives of others. Sin is ugly. Sadly and truthfully, it's easy to see the ugliness of other people's sins, but not the ugliness of our own. This story is simple, yet it reveals the ugliness of sin. 
you will often see situations where people who are hypocritical before God become very extreme in their condemnation of the sins of others. Such people are always ready to pass the harshest judgment on others to come and appease their conscience. A Christian who does not live day in and day out in a deep awareness of the forgiving mercy of his God will become rude and cruel to others when he encounters even the slightest offense against him. Hypocrisy is a challenge for any man and was so for King David. David's righteous indignation at the rich man's behavior was entirely justified, but also hypocritical. David's response to the parable was a condemnation of himself. As verses from 7 to 9 explain that David's behavior was just as bad, if not worse, than that of the rich man in the story. That's why the prophet Nathan pointed to David and said, You are the man. God was as angry with David as David was with the rich man in the parable. Brothers and sisters, let's take this to heart. For this parable was written for our benefit and admonition. We shall see the beam in our own eyes before we judge others. In the story told by Nathan, David was a terrible man. God gave David many, many blessed favors. Notice that everything God gave David is emphasized in verses 7 and 8. God appointed him king over Israel, delivered him from Saul, put his master's house and concubines in his arms, and gave him the house of Israel and Judah. If this were not enough, God would have given David more. But David was only interested in taking for himself and not seeking God to give. Verse 9 is crucial for David's condemnation. You have defiled the word of the Lord. You no longer care about what God has said, but do what you want. You don't care what God instructs you to do. Furthermore, the condemnation is based on how David dealt with his sin. Notice that verse 9 does not mention sexual impurity with Bathsheba. Instead, the condemnation lies in his cover-up. All that is mentioned is what happened after the adultery. David killed Uriah and took Bash 
Sheba as his wife to cover up his sin. He, com- he compounded his sin by making things so much worse. David was condemned because he did not seek to repent. Instead, David wanted to further his own will. Nathan says to David in verse 12, For you did it secretly, but I will do the thing before all Israel and before the sun. David thought he had a perfect cover-up for everything he did. He covered one sin with another and covered it all very skillfully with the deceitfulness of his heart against the Lord. But God exposed his gal and made it known to all. Not only that, God went further. Others would have done the same thing to David, cruelly and openly despising David. Brothers and sisters, none of us have committed precisely the same sin as David. But we must recognize that we all fall short of God's standards to a greater or lesser extent. For example, none of us is a perfect human and none of us is grateful for God's gift. Our sins may not be on the same order of magnitude as David's, but they are still sins. If we are honest, we are all guilty before a good God just as David was. Now David's life hung in the balance. As a deserving murderer, would God deal with David according to justice? This brings us to the second point. His confession of his confession of sin and God's grace. Thankfully, David repented his wrongdoing and received God's grace and forgiveness. According to verse 13, David's mind was suddenly cleared after Nathan's admonition and accusation. He saw things clearly for the first time in months and made a full and honest confession. David finally confessed his sin. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. David did not put Nathan in prison or put him to death. We know later kings of Israel and Judah react severely to those condemnations. You may remember that King Jehoiakim burned Jeremiah's condemnations and prophetic writings against him. He tore up the words of the Lord and threw them into the fire. But David simply said that he had offended the Lord. David did not attempt to justify or excuse his sin. No excuses. No cover-ups. There was no search for loopholes 
He did not say, Lord, if Bathsheba hadn't bathed, I wouldn't have stumbled. Oh, Lord, if Bathsheba hadn't been so beautiful, I wouldn't have fallen. He simply said, I have sinned. He openly and honestly admitted his sin without denying any of the facts. Too often, too often we want to make excuses. Our society tells us not to take responsibility. We can blame others, blame circumstances, blame anything but ourselves. David took responsibilities for his actions. Although he had wronged Uriah and Bathsheba, he had offended God. David realized the depth of his sin. He had stolen another man's wife, which was far worse than stealing a pet lamb. In reaction to Nathan's parable, David as a king had already sentenced himself, the idolater and murderer, to his own death. David knew he could not escape the wrath of God. He did the only thing he could he would he could do. He judged himself and he repented. David did not Presume on God's grace. He didn't say God is good. He must forgive me because of all of the good thing I have done. It wasn't like that. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. The words were few. But it was a good sign that David's spirit was completely broken. David's repentance is described more fully in Psalm 51, a psalm David wrote after this event. Listen to the beginning of the psalm. Have a mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Brothers and sisters, have you ever been brought to that place where you see yourself as you are before God and you have nothing else to say but I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. Do you have the courage to call your sin by its name? God, I'm a murderer. I have committed adultery and theft. I have sinned against your grace. I have sinned against you and provoked you to your face. Brothers and sisters, how many of these genuinely repentant spirits are there in our lives? 
David heard the word of grace immediately after he repented. Nathan told David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Under the law of Moses, the death penalty was the logical consequences of David's sin. Yet God graciously said, You shall not be put to death for this. Neither shall you suffer for it in hell forever. It is an amazing grace. God is rich in mercy. He will not take the Holy Spirit from his elect, even if they sometimes fall into sin. Nor will he allow them to plunge themselves into eternal destruction. God is indeed a faithful God who favors Israel. As David said in Psalm 32, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgive the iniquity of my sin. True repentance in man's heart will be forgiven because of the multitude of God's tender mercies. It's most important David said with emotion in Psalm 51, verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Notice, David received not justice, but mercy and grace. He received forgiveness and pardon. The days of estrangement from God were over. He was restored. God forgave David's sin, not because of David's repentance, but because of God's mercy. Because of mercy. God sent Nathan to David. Because of mercy, God's Spirit brought David to repentance. Because of mercy, God's Spirit healed the broken heart. It's why David prayed in Psalm 41, verse 4. O Lord, be gracious, heal me, for I have sinned against you. Nathan tell David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. God took David's sin away from him. But then, where did he put it? God sent David's greatest descendant, Jesus, to our world to be stared down on the cross. In God's eyes, David's sins were taken from him and added to Christ on the cross. On the cross. Jesus endured the just judgment that David's sin deserved, thus bringing forgiveness to him. The benefits of Jesus' saving mission go back to David's time and extend, extend to today. It makes it possible for anyone today to receive God's complete forgiveness immediately as David did. God's forgiveness 
is always available to all who repent and turn to Christ. This leads us to the last point, the consequences of his sin. Brothers and sisters, in real life, in real life we can be forgiven for breaking a window, a door, a wall. But we still must clean up the broken glasses or debris and repair the windows, repair the door or window or the wall. There will always be consequences of our actions. Whether we want them or not, we must live with it, just as David did. Even God forgiving David's sin will not erase the damage he has already done. Forgiveness does not mean that the consequences go away. God often deals with us harshly after we have sinned. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 6 says, For the Lord, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. David had to live with the consequences of his actions for the rest of his life. The following verses tells us that David paid a heavy price for his sin. Verse 10 says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and taken Uriah, the Hittite's wife, to be your wife. What a terrible judgment that was to come upon David. David had destroyed a family with a sword. This sword would come, would come back to break up his family. God promised David that there would be violence and bloodshed among his family from that day forward. In verse from 11 to 12, the Lord says there, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly. But I will do it this thing before all Israel and before the sun. In verse 14, it says there, Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. After hearing Nathan's parable, David said that this man must pay four times as much for the lamb because he had done this four times. The reality is this. Four of David's son dead. First was the baby he had with Bathsheba, who died shortly after birth. Then there was the Absalom, Abbas, Abbas who killed Ammon, 
because he sexually abused his half-sister. Then came Absalom, who also then came Absalom, also killed for his rebellion and duration of the power. Later, Solomon killed his brother Adonijah for treason. David took one man's life, and as a result, he lost the lives of his four sons, as the head of the rebellion. Absalom had pitched a tent on the flat roof of the palace to be intimate with his father David's concubine before the eyes of all Israel. It may have been on the, it may have been on that terrace that David first gazed upon, liked and lusted after Bathsheba, as David dealt with sin. In the lives of his children, his sin paralyzed him. Being aware of his own sin, he was powerless to do anything about the sins of his his sons. This judgment, brothers and sisters, show that a person reaps what he sows. He reaps what he sows. David. Reaped what he showed, even with the prophet. Not only that, but David's sin gave the enemies of the Lord a great opportunity to blaspheme the Lord. David allowed unbelievers to say that David's true religion was no different than their false religion. When we sin openly. We allow unbelievers to see we are no different than non-Christians. We do need to live carefully. The sword that never left his house reminded David that sin was at the door of his heart. Therefore, he needed God at every moment. Brothers and sisters, if we do not confess our sins, we will become slaves to sin. There's no need for us to do so. The Lord is gracious, merciful, and always ready to forgive our sins. In His righteousness, He may treat us harshly, even after forgiving us, but He is always for our ultimate good. So do not continue to sin, and trying to escape the consequences. Don't try to cover it up. Because guilt will enslave you. There may come a time when you will hear God say to you, "You are the one." That time may be today. If issues in your life need to be addressed, now is the time to bring them to look to God. You need to confess your sin to God and return, turn away from it. Jesus' death made forgiveness possible, and if you come to Him, you will be treated with mercy. 
For baptism is the seal and undoubted witness that we have a covenant of grace with God. God's grace towards his children endures forever, and his mercy never fails. You are, you are in the greatest trouble if you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Come to Jesus now and be saved. Amen.